Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. We continue our series. If you've been with us, we have gone from Genesis, now heading on into the exile and the prophets. If you've missed any of our installments, you can catch them on the podcast at c 2 Church. Last week, we were diving into kind of the historical books, uh, sort of near the middle of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st Kings, as we were unfolding the story of Israel's first human king, King Saul. And from the perspective of Solomon, as he watched this first human king and then his successor, King David, both of them uh, rise to the kingship. And we begin to compare and contrast the lives of King David and King Saul as Saul refused to suffer and would not be broken. And God would have to remove him from the throne. And David anointed king before Saul had even uh, stepped away from the throne, before he had died. David is anointed king. And we see the life of David as a broken man, a broken king and therefore the king that God could and would use. We learn it is only broken people who understand who really is the king. And it's those people that God can truly use for while Saul was king, he really believed he was the king. And while David was the king, he really knew that God was king. And now in our story, God would move from breaking kings to breaking people, his people. The interesting thing moving from Saul to David is the succession of kings. Absalom, one of David's sons, would rise in rebellion to dethrone his father. And he would gather to himself an army and they would, they would crown him king in Hebron and then move to Jerusalem to take the throne. And as we look at the life of David, if he's truly a broken king, this is the moment that we would find if he truly was that guy. As David's mighty men gathered around him, they said, you've heard what your son has done. He's crowned himself king in Hebron. We should mount now and go and attack and take care of this little runt. For David, you are king. And David says, no. Here in this moment, he reveals his heart. He says, no. How do I know that God is not done with me? How, how do I know that God isn't taking the kingdom from me to give it to Absalom, even though he be a traitor, even though he be full of treachery? How do I know that that is not God's anointed? No. From this castle, I will simply move to a cave. I will go into hiding. And we see David go into hiding. For David knew who rightfully was king. And it wasn't him. Much of what I learn about brokenness and truly am inspired in my life comes from David's story in a book called The Tale of Three Kings. I commend you to read it. It's a short read, lots of pictures, small words. Good kind of book for me. It is a short book, unfortunately, no pictures. But it's a picture of brokenness. The tale of three kings, Saul, David, and Absalom. It's not a, a story simply of brokenness. It's a story of humanity. See, David's reaction to Absalom is the right reaction. 
that though God take the very thing he gave me away from him, I still trust his sovereignty. Absalom's reign would end shortly with his death and and David would continue his reign as a broken king, the kind that God can use. Upon his death, his uh, his other son Solomon would begin his reign and these would be the glory years of the kingdom of Israel. For they would reign in peace. While David conquered the lands, his reign was one of war and of submission of his enemies. Solomon would reign in peace and in wisdom. Solomon would be known as the wisest king to ever live. The gospel, uh, rather the scriptures record the wisdom of Solomon. It is said that Solomon's Wisdom became so famous that wise men from all of the earth would come to Israel. And this began to build the fame of Israel and the glory of the city of Jerusalem. And upon that, they would build the temple to the Lord their God. And in the temple, the glory, the physical glory of God would reside. The very spirit of God would reside there in the temple. One of the greatest palaces ever built was King Solomon's would also speak of the glory of Israel as they began to expand, as they began to see God's blessing, experience riches and power. God's glory truly was now in human mortal hands. Unfortunately, Solomon would not be broken. And upon Solomon's death, actually before his death, he would do what we see so often throughout Scripture. If you were with us in our uh, story on the judges, the phrase, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord, would become another phrase throughout the books of history, Samuel, the kings, and the chronicles, that the kings would continue to do evil in the sight of the Lord, and this would begin with Solomon. And so the kingdom would be taken from Solomon, and on Solomon's death, the kingdom would split. The kingdom of Israel would be split into two, the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern king, Judah, where Jerusalem was. And the people would continue their disobedience, which would lead to disbelief, which would then lead to disconnection. Have you ever seen that journey in your life, that your disobedience leads to disbelief and then disconnection? I've heard it said that disobedience is the root of all atheism, that you begin to disbelieve because you've disobeyed and eventually you will disconnect. And the people would fail, the kings would fail, even the priests would fail. They would serve other gods and the the evil would grow greater and greater. So much so that in Ezekiel, chapters 8 and 9, Ezekiel the prophet would record that the very glory of the Lord would depart from the temple and leave the city of Jerusalem for good. The people were not aware of it because they had largely ignored the prophets, the men who were charged to bring warning to the people, the the men who were charged to call the people back to God himself, men like Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Nahum, Habakkuk, Micah, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, some of these are books of the Bible that record 
the happenings going on in Israel. God was calling his people back, but they had deaf ears. They had shackled minds. They had unrepentant hearts. They were an unbroken people. So God would move from breaking kings to breaking his people, that they might learn dependence upon him. And after the kingdom has been split, the northern kingdom would be captured by the Assyrians in about 722 B.C., considering Solomon started his reign in 980 B.C., so almost 200 years have elapsed. Then the southern kingdom would go, a little bit of a history lesson, by the way. There will be a test at the end. The southern kingdom, which includes Jerusalem, would then fall in 586 B.C. The people, the best and the brightest, taken into captivity. The poor and the destitute left to fend for themselves. The walls of Jerusalem, its glory would be demolished. The temple, the very center of all cultural and religious life, would be destroyed, burned to the ground, left in a pile of ashes, ashes, left in ruins. Where was God? The people would go into captivity and into exile. And in all this, as you begin to read through the stories found mostly in this period, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, as we move from the end of the kings into the time of exile, you will see through the prophets, they're calling back to God the reality that the people would not come to God, and so they would be taken into exile, into captivity. And you would see through the experiential books of Esther and Daniel that the the experiences of those in exile. But in all this, we see a few themes and a couple I'd like to share with you this morning. First, God's patience. Though the people were going into exile, what we actually are seeing in God's judgment and his wrath is actually a demonstration of God's patience to this point. That though perpetually provoked by the evilness of the people and their unwillingness to follow him, he is patient with them, trying to draw them back to himself. God is patient. He is not slow. He is simply patient. That he did not destroy them completely alone is it speaks to his mercy and his grace, but rather than total destruction, he brings them into exile. Jeremiah chapter 25 gives us a great insight into the picture of captivity. Jeremiah writes that the word of Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of this guy. If you've got your scripture, you can turn it on and read with me and try to pronounce it yourself. Turning on your Bible is really great, right? A little, otherwise, it's on the screen for those of you who don't have it. Verse 4 says this, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your fathers. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger. Then I will not harm you, but you did not listen. And you provoked me with your hands you have made, and you have brought harm upon yourselves. Listen to that. You have brought harm upon yourselves. It was your choosing. And God in his patience grants us what we want. 
the patience and the grace of God at some point comes to a point, as we have discovered time and time again, as we've journeyed through the people, with the people of Israel through the story, that God will eventually say to you, fine, your will be done. Have it your way. And this is the ultimate judgment and wrath that comes upon people is that God will turn you over to yourself to find the end of yourself that you would learn not to rely upon yourself. And he would give them their way. He would allow them to go into captivity. It's interesting that captivity, that this time of exile, has a a way of stripping away all self-reliance, all the things that have encumbered you. My Uncle Robbie, some of you have heard me speak of him. He was a former POW in the prison of Hanoi during the Vietnam War. Passed away as a brigadier general, buried with full honors at Arlington National Cemetery, remembered as a great leader. And I, I'd love to share some more of his story another time, but I remember the conversations with him and, and reading through his book. He said, Jeremy, there's two things that got me through. Because I, I would ask him, how did you make it through with all the suffering and the torture? He said two things. Everything else is stripped away. He said there was two things. Faith in God and faith in country. Faith in a God that I could not see, but I would experience like no other way I had before in my life. And faith in country because I was surrounded by men who believed the same thing. Captivity and exile have a way of stripping away everything else. We've referred to the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in the book of Matthew, how a son goes to the father and says, Father, you know all that stuff that you've worked hard all over the, these years to earn? <laughs> I'd like the share that I haven't earned, <laughs> my inheritance. And the father, in his patience, grants the son what he wants. The son goes off and spoils his inheritance only to find himself in captivity to a pig farmer and he is stripped of everything that is him he comes to the end of himself it says he comes to his senses to return to the father and the father in grace takes him back do you think the father in his patience and his wisdom knew that the son would lose it all i gotta believe he did that's god's patience that he will bear with us while we struggle to do it ourselves. But God has a plan. That's the second thing. God has a plan throughout the whole of this era of the exile. God's plan to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own is still fully in effect. He will not share you and he would not share the people of Israel. And Jeremiah in chapter 29 of his book, he gives us this insight. He predicts He prophesies the captivity in Babylon. Many of us are familiar with chapter 29 and verse 11, but back up one sentence, one verse to 29.10. Here is the prophecy. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. He knew that they would be in Babylon for 70 years. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The Lord has plans. And I believe that bringing them to captivity was part of his plans. Continue reading in chapter 29, verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and 
pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you, bra- bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and place, places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Listen to that. I will bring you back from the place from which I carried you into exile. Could we accept a God whose very plan is to turn us over to ourselves when we refuse to go his way, that we might be broken of ourselves and learn to rely upon him? We love to quote verse 11. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But this is coming before he takes them into exile, into captivity. Can you accept that the Lord's plans for you might include times of captivity and exile? And I'll tell you why. There's, I think, three reasons we find ourselves in captivity or exile. Because of the consequences of our own sin. Someone check your text message quick. Because of your sin, because of the sin of others, for surely there was, there was at least one generation born within captivity. It was not their fault. And the third reason might be that it's God's very plan that he entrusts you with times that you feel the dryness in spirituality. Listen to what Second Chronicles says, chapter 7. Some of you are familiar with this. But I want to start in verse 11. This is right at the end of uh, when Solomon had built a temple. And the Lord says to Solomon this in verse 12, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place, the temple for myself, as a temple for sacrifices. Verse 13, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Wait, hold up, rewind. What did he just say? When I shut up the heavens? When, not if. When I shut up the heavens and there's no rain, when there's a plague, when locusts come, perhaps it is part of God's process and discipline for those who love him that at times we need to be brought into fuller dependence upon him. And in those times when there is no rain, have you been there, say amen. When there's dryness in your soul. When you can't seem to to connect with God, that your prayers don't bounce farther than the ceiling. That perhaps it's in those moments that God is actually trusting you the most. Taking you to a place that only in distress and in exile will you experience and see him. And learn more about his character. That doesn't fit with our American culture. We want to westernize it and say that the Lord has a plan to prosper me. I'm going to get a big house and a shiny new car. That's not what it says here. His plan to prosper you simply means to bring you into greater relationship. And his blessing comes to those who obey. But we see his blessing as something I get. God's blessing is surely something I cannot provide for myself. I can, I can buy myself a house. I can buy myself a car. But I desire the blessing that only God can provide. And this is what he's telling his people. If you humble yourself, verse 14 of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name, 
Those who identify themselves with me will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear. I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, I'll heal their land, and my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to their prayers. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and ears will always be there. The promise is for you, Solomon. He says, if you follow it like your father did, I will bless you. I will establish the throne forever. But if you turn away and forsake my decrees and commands, I will uproot you. Sometimes God's sovereignty takes us to places we don't want to go, but that are necessary. Listen, look at the story of the scriptures. From Genesis on through, God leads his people. He leads Adam and Eve from the garden. He leads his people into captivity in Egypt. He leads through the flood. He leads them through the wandering. He leads them into the promised land. And in this moment of our story, he leads them into exile that there might be a broken people who see their need for the one true God. And brokenness would come to all of Israel. Their beloved city and temple would lay in ruin. But the exile would have a tremendous impact on them because for the first time, when they are turned over to themselves, God says, you want to seek other idols? You want other gods? I'm not only going to let you have that, I'm going to let you go into captivity at the very capital of all idolatry, Babylon. I'm going to put you right smack dab in the middle of it all. And it's the exile that actually cures them from their prostitution of themselves to other gods. It's this time of brokenness that they actually begin to turn to God. Because God would have for himself a people that would be his very own and he will not share you. And that is God's promise. One, the promise is that he will remove you. And he promised to remove the people. In Second Chronicles, he says, if you don't obey, I'm going to have to uproot you. Have you ever been there? That God strips away everything that you've built as security that you've built for yourself and he's uprooted you from it And now you are floundering. I've been there. Is not God sovereign? Are not God's promises still true? 29 uh, of Jeremiah, 29th chapter of Jeremiah, that 14th verse says, I will gather you back from all nations. This is what I've promised. This is the promise of the Lord through the prophets that it's not just to take them into captivity and leave them there. Listen, what is unexplainable about this whole thing I have to rack my mind around this, is that the people of Israel still exist. Look through the course of history, you history buffs. What happens when a people, a nation gets captured or goes into exile? What happens to them? They disappear. They cease to exist. There's only memories in history books. But the Jewish people, though exiled several times, even in modern day history, are still a people. That in itself speaks to God's sovereignty and his promises that are still true. There's a promise of return. Band, would you come as we close? God is still at work. He promises to bring the people back. And as we go into the rest of the prophets through the next few weeks, we'll see that the, the people are returning 
to their land, Jerusalem. They would begin to rebuild. Brokenness had come. And when they returned to the land this time, it's with a limp. You remember that story? They did. Their ancestor Jacob, who had wrestled with God in the dark night of his soul and would not release God until God blessed him, but from that moment on would walk with a limp. He would always be dependent on the Lord. He would always remember to lean upon the Lord. And now the people of Israel would limp back into Jerusalem, into their promised land, and they would, with this limp, be dependent on God again. And their limp would remind them no longer of judgment, but of salvation. For now their theology went from judgment to salvation as the prophets began to speak of this hope that was to come, this Messiah, the true king that would bring redemption and free the people of Israel. But now it's into exile they go, into captivity. You ever been there? Ever been in exile? I remember it was nearly 15 years ago that I graduated from college. And I took my first position as a youth pastor. And this youth ministry that I was going to build was going to be awesome. This kingdom, I mean, this youth ministry that I was going to build was going to be awesome awesome. I mean, I had gone to school. I had read all the books. I I had interned. I'd done it all. I was ready to go, and God was taking us from Minnesota to Texas where we didn't know a soul. And Darcy and I there, we would plant our kingdom, and we would build it. And I remember reading that book, Tale of Three Kings, about brokenness, and I prayed a foolish prayer. How many of you ever prayed a foolish prayer? Look at your neighbor and say, I know you pray foolish prayers. That prayer that you pray when you say, Lord, grant me patience, and he sticks you in traffic for six days straight. I prayed a foolish prayer. I said, Lord, break me. And the Lord said, okay. In the course of our time in Texas, it wasn't a few months after we had started that we understood that The wheels on the bus go round and round. Those wheels were coming off that bus. And we saw people begin to leave our church. And the finances dwindle and the staff begin to be released. I was, other than the senior pastor, I was the only full-time person on staff other than our administrator. A short time after that, we had to sell the building. We had to meet in a school. That's the opposite direction a church should go. They should start in a school and move to a building, not the opposite. Until one day the pastor finally came to me and he said, it's over, we're shutting it down. I thought I could save it. I mean, I was doing children's ministry, youth ministry. I was leading worship. I was preaching. I was making the executive decisions in the office. And the Lord broke me. So when I speak of brokenness of King David and brokenness of the people of Israel, it's not because 
I just read it in a book. It's because I let the Lord do it to me. And unless you let the Lord break you, you'll never experience the restoration and the return that you're supposed to have. And the people of Israel would be returned. What lay in ruins, they would see rise again. And what in your life lay in ruins? Because I can remember those nights. Remember that? When we would lay in our bed and cry because everything we had built had been taken away. It lay in ashes, nothing but ruins. Where was God in that moment in our exile? It was from there that we would learn how God can bring ruins back to life. And there are ruins in your life that are meant to be restored. The temple eventually would be rebuilt. Though the glory would not reside in the temple again, the the temple would be rebuilt. The walls would be rebuilt. But there are things in your life, there are ruins in your life that will never be rebuilt. There are piles of ash that will just remain piles of ash. And if God is sovereign in your life, you will say, okay, I, I don't understand but I let you be God. Because one day, the glory will return. One day, Jesus will return in all the glory. The new temple will be rebuilt in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. And all the ruins in your life that haven't been restored, in that moment, will have a glorious ruin to them because they will speak of God's sovereignty in your life. And the perspective you have on that day, you will look back and you will say, okay. What is in your life? A relationship? An addiction? Something in your past? Understand that God is not in the business of restoring all of your American dream. He's into restoring you that he might bring you into a relationship that you might accomplish his plan, his good and perfect and pleasing plan. God's purpose throughout all of time is to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own, a people that would be broken, who would let the glorious ruins speak of his power and his grace. And he will not share you. The word of the Lord has come to you this morning. For some of you, it started with the very first song we sang this morning. For those who need rest, I find in my life it's those times when I'm worn out that I tend to try to do it even more on my own. And I dethrone God and I I put something else in His place. And yet, this morning, those of you who need rest from your weariness, let God minister to you in that moment of exile. Don't run. Look to him. Let let yourself be broken in the truest sense of the word. Those of you who see ruins in your life, though the pain and the hurt is there, God can use it. He never wastes pain. He will bring perspective and one day even the ruins of your life will be glorious to him if you let him reign in all areas of your life.
And for those of you who are praying for restoration this morning, that is our prayer with you, whether it be relationships, finances, your own spiritual walk. We stand in prayer with you because the last thing that we see in all of the exile is this talk of a redeemer. The promise not of just a return, not just of restoration, but of redemption through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And above all things, above of everything that lay in ashes in your life, it speaks of a Redeemer that's going to come and redeem all of your experiences. All the pain, all the hurt, everything will be redeemed to bring glory to, and fame to the one name, the name Jesus Christ. This morning, church, wherever you're at, Would you reach out to God this morning and let me pray for you if we can pray a blessing over you. For some of you, it's to take a step into faith for the very first time. For some, it's trusting God in the dryness that the breaking process that you're going through is for his glory and ultimately for your good. Father, would you bless your children today for all who would receive that gift, they would become the children of God that they were intended to be and to walk in relationship and identification with you. And this morning, would you bless your people, not so that we can get what we want, but that we might want what you give, to walk in power of your Holy Spirit and in brokenness that you might use us, that we would look to you for the plan and purpose that you have for our life, that you've declared over us, that you've declared over and against Everything else that would be a stronghold that would place itself against the authority and reign of Jesus Christ in our life. Would you again this morning, Father, declare over us the plan and purpose that you have for us. And would you find us to be your faithful and broken servants to follow obediently after you. Bless your people today as they begin to live life. Lives that invite others into your story, that Easter would not just be another holiday that comes and goes, but we would see the miraculous hand of your work to restore the ruins of the lives of our neighbors and our community for the glory and fame of your name, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray all this. And church, if you believe it, say amen this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.